Hello everyone and welcome back to the Drunken Storytellers podcast where I, your erstwhile host, folklore nerd, freelance RPG writer and mad scientist take you on a tour of folklore, myths and legends from around the world with some inane drunk ramblings occasionally thrown in depending upon my mood. In this episode I'm going to continue looking at Heidelberg and the region of the Neckar Valley. I have three stories to tell you today. And look at some giants, some water spirits, and some iffy history, shall we say. Um, again, these stories come from uh, Jürgen from Sunken Castle's Even- Evil Poodles on Patreon, and the German folklore map. Again, the links are in the show. If you want to go back and listen to some more stories and the history of the region, you can go back and listen to my last episode. So, um, yeah, Jürgen listened to the episode. Um, uh, says he said he enjoyed it. Uh, he gave me some thoughts on it. So, uh, much like England, uh, using old ruins as a quarry is a well-established practice. Go to Norwich. The uh, the castle walls were, were pulled down and built a few pubs with those. He also mentions that sometimes the ruins are haunted and, well, well... Comments on black dogs, particularly black poodles. Uh, this is a very much a German thing, uh, black poodles. Their black dogs tend to be poodles. They often show up as treasure guardian, guardians, um, usually in dungeons, but not always. And there is uh, a notion that ghosts in purgatory were bound to the treasures and could only be released if the treasure was taken away. The devil sent these guardians to deter would-be treasure hunters and thus keep the souls in torment. So maybe that's what the poodle is doing? I don't know. Um, about that geese, about that goose that was thrown into the well. Well, apparently in in Germany at least, it's a very well-known folklore practice to, to, to chuck a goose into a well or a spring uh, to check where they re-emerge and kind of like follow the source of the river. Seems a little bit mean. Okay, and apparently there's um uh, the realms of the dwarves have their very own special goose, uh, one that emerges from a well in one folk tale. So maybe I'll look at that one day. And in German folklore, apparently, uh, according to Jürgen, one of the most vilified crimes is to mess with field boundary stones. Kind of the same thing in England, I suppose. If you if you move boundary stones or like sacred stones, then weird things happen to you. Um, I know the lawmen have have done a few on on uh, stones and mystical stones and things like that recently, and moving stones. So there is that. But in in German folklore, if you mess with a, a boundary stone, uh, torment um, as a ghost is is bound to to follow. So maybe maybe the guy who follows you through the woods was messing with the boundary stones but it's not obviously outright stated that this is what happened but it could possibly be that so or it could just be something else completely um unknown is is the phrasing on that one but yeah thank you Jürgen for um passing those on to me I hope you uh enjoy this episode just as much I'm gonna read three the three more stories from your Patreon, which you are kindly letting everybody access. Um, And I will interject with my own usual inane ramblings and stupid comments and make these stories, as we say, grow with each telling. So we're going to start off a little bit further down the river from where I live, not 
Heidelberg, but the other way. So I live in a, a small village called Neckargamund. And then the next town village place down is called Neckersteinach. This is the story of the Knight of Landharm. I'm going to read it as written um, from the, the Sunken Castles and Evil Poodles uh, Patreon. Two hours upriver from Heidelberg, at a place where the Necker Valley forms a semicircle. Uh, it does as well, actually. Um, it's quite a nice little circle. If you get, When you get around the other side, it's really pretty. So um, it's quite a nice little area. I cycle, cycle through it quite regularly on my weekend bike ride jaunts out of the... out of the... Out into the hills, I should say. The mirrored silhouette of a small town of Neckersteinach, located at the foot of a mighty of mighty grey rocks, can be seen in the waters. Four crumbling knights' castles are located there at imposing heights. Imposing's a strong word there, I feel. And some of them are high, some of them are not so high, uh, but they're still there. Um, these were the homes of the line of the Landshards of Steinach and they were in close distance of each other. The oldest one, which was founded under the name of Shadek, was dubbed the Sh uh, I'm gonna butcher this, Schwelbenest, uh, which means swallow's nest, by the people. The church of Nekersteinach safeguards many gravestones of the Knights of Landshad. The oldest and most beautiful of these bears the simple inscription, 1369 in Dysankti Michael, of Ulricus Landshard Miles. And apparently, this translates to the knight Ulricus Landshard died in the year 1369 on the day of the Holy Michael, which apparently refers to the Archangel, the day of the Archangel Michael, which is about the 29th of September. It has a depiction of a knight in an old-fashioned form with a lowered sword. Two angels hold a cushion beneath his head. The dog adheres to his feet. With superglue, probably. At his right side there is a harp, and to the left there is a crowned head of a heathen. Whether the rest of the body's there or not is not mentioned, so maybe he's just nicked somebody's head? But popular legend associates this Ulrich with the foundation of the line of Landschadens. His father, Bligger von Steinach, was as wild as the region he inhabited. His heart was as hard as the rock foundation on which he perched. Emperor Rudolf as Hasburg had ordered that no one shall maintain a castle unless they can do so without harming the land. Which seems a bit of a strong statement for a region that is on a river and has lots of bends on it and really good defensible places. Not sure how you can build a castle without hurting the land. Unless it's a floating castle. Mm, maybe they worked magic. Um, anyway, Bligger, however, lived off robbery and murder. He was a bit of an arse, and was the terror of the entire region. A true Landschaden, or harm to the land. Ordered to appear in court by the Emperor, he remained in his unassailable castle until the Imperial ban was proclaimed against him, and he could no longer safely step on any road. This enforced quietude was unbearable for the wild and restless robber knight, and one day he was found dead in the courtyard. Uh, unknown how he died? Maybe he was so wild and restless and he was running around a lot, he fell over and tripped and landed on his sword? These knights do crazy things, you know. Uh, from that, his son, 
Ulrich Landshard von Steinach had inherited the infamous name of his father, but not his evil temperament. He was a bit of a nice lad, a bit chill, a bit like, you know, yeah. In order, though, to atone for his father's misdeeds and reconcile himself with the emperor and empire, he took up the cross and joined the crusade against the Saracens. He helped with the siege and conquest of Smyrna, destroyed a three times larger mob of enemies with his followers and decapitated the sultan, whose camp he had infiltrated as a harpist and whose favour he had attained with his skill at playing the harp. He then carried the bountiful loot to his jubilant host. Now, the emperor solemnly confirmed his knighthood and gave him the formerly insulting nickname Langshaden as his knightly name, as well the name of his lineage. Furthermore, he permitted him to bear the head of his slain enemy as a crest in his coat of arms. And that is the story. So this again comes from like a traditional German folklore book. Um, I'm not even going to bother trying read, reading the title, but it was written in 1846 um, by Gustav Schwab. Uh, and obviously Jürgen has translated that. So reading that, you kind of think that sounds a little bit historical, a little bit correct, a little bit right. Um, well, we can we can instantly point out one thing that shows that this is not. Rudolf was not an emperor. Rudolf was a king. So this is likely talking about um, Rudolf I, king of Germany, who ruled uh, kind of the end of the 13th century. But that's that's a kind of possibility. Um, but yeah, none of uh, not many of the Rudolphs were actually emperors. But maybe it was just kind of like a blowing their own horn, trying to make him sound better. Uh, other things. So the the invasion and and the 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 attack in Smyrna, uh, S M Y R N A, or apparently modern day Ismar. It could have been possible that Uric participated in this siege, um, which would have been during the Seventh Crusade, um, as there were many crusades, uh, and they were not all honestly about uh, politics and land grabbing and didn't use religion as an excuse at all. Um, but the highest ranking uh, person in the, in the Muslim army was Amir Umar of Aydin. And he died in 1348 uh, and was killed in battle. He was shot to death with arrows. He was turned into a pincushion uh, and not decapitated. Uh, and using using uh, Jürgen's words here, by a cunningly disguised Christian knight. So these, these embellishments that we see in these kind of historical stories are, are quite common. Um, they, they, as Jürgen also, also states, it's a little bit hard to fact check these things when they happen quite a long way away and the fastest way to get there is by horse. So if it's a couple of hundred, maybe a thousand miles away, you're not going to go back and fact check it. It's like, oi, did our Lord actually kill your Lord? Um, they're just going to believe the Lord because they're their Lord and they're their saviour and they're the master and things like that. And you go, woo, aren't they good? And so, yeah, there's a little bit of, it seems a little, like the story could be real, but obviously lots of embellishments and things in there. So that is the, the, the story and a little bit of explanation there about um, the Knight of Landharm, or 
the the, the um, story of the Landshard, the von Steinach line. So yeah, the, the the town is not too far from here. It's quite nice. Cycle through it regularly. Uh, went in, turned left to go up a hill, went up a hill, got to the top of the hill. It's about 500, 600 meter high hill. And then my chain snapped. Um, and the closest bike shop was 20 kilometers away. Luckily, most of that was downhill. So that was okay. But yeah, chain snapping on top of a hill. Hmm. Not, not the best, not the best of times, that one. I got a little bit sunburned from that. Anyway, enough of my, uh, my foibles of exploring the area. Um, let's talk about some giants and water spirits. So we'll go into giants first. Um, this is the Legend of the Giants stone. I have not seen this stone because I think they've actually built the castle on it, if that's where I think it is. It's not really specifically said where this stone is. The first sentence reads, the towering masses of the Reisenstein or the giant stone um, rock rises up boldly to the west and south of the castle ruins of Heidelberg, a rock perched upon a ro another rock. If you look at the ruins of Heidelberg Castle, the only thing behind it and south and west of it are trees and a funicular railway. So, uh, mm, not sure where this stone actually is. Anyway, of this formation, the following legend is told. In ancient times, when Heidelberg hadn't been founded yet, and the castle had not yet been built on its heights, a giant came from distant lands, and nobody knows where from. The giant settled down on the right-hand side of the river, read north. I thought it was south because I thought they were coming from Mannheim, but apparently they've come from the other way, and I'll explain that in a bit later. But yeah, they're, they're settled on the north side of the river, on the river Neckar, and together with his son. He held in his hand strange plants indeed, and for those he dug holes into the ground with his hands and lowered them down with their roots. Then they grew there, and from their fruits he pressed the most delicious wine. And the people beheld with astonishment and fear the activities of the strange man. Now, Heidelberg and the Ra uh, and this this region, uh, the Necker Valley, and this part of the Rhine, uh, this like Necker Valley is a tributary that leads into the Rhine at Mannheim, um, is quite well known for its wine. So, is this the root of where that came from? Maybe, maybe not. But it's 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 quite nice to see that the the, the, the tale has at least connected to one of the famous things uh, beyond just the rock. And yeah, the wine here is quite good. Riesling wine um, is from this area. But from time to time, the old one was away from the mountain and left only his boy behind. The boy, being a little bit of a dickhead, enjoyed gathering rocks and or plucking them from the mountain and letting them roll downhill so that they would fall into the necker and dam the splashing water. Possibly running over a few people and squishing a few people on the way? Doesn't say, but there are people here and these boulders are rolling down a hill. Hmm. And as, we know, as we're about to find out, the dad's a bit of an ass as well, so. These rocks would bar the way for the boatmen travelling down the river, and some of them are still seen within the Neckar today. I've not seen them. And when the one, when the old one returned and saw this, he felt mighty joy at his pastime of the boy. 
But when he returned from one of his travels one day, the young giant asked him from where he came and where he went to every time he left the mountain. Mountain is a strong word. These aren't very high, these are more hills. But maybe they were mountains before the giant started lobbing rocks into the river. Hmm. Maybe. The old one said that he had a great pleasure in journeying to the cities of the human and starting fights with them, as well as tearing down their walls. See, like father, like son. Dickhead big, dickhead small. Then the giant son told his father, Take me with you when you go abroad next time, so that I can return with the same merry face as you from this foray. I want to go punch humans as well. But the old giant replied, I must first test your strength, to see that if you are ready for such a venture, and thus shall give you a task to this end. And he ripped out the largest rock from the mountain, swung it in his hands and hurled it far beyond the necker, so that it tore deeply into the ground when it crushed the f forest on the other side. When the young giant saw this, he was thrilled and ripped an even larger rock out of the mountain with his hands. Then he likewise swung it around and hurled it through the through the whistling air so that it fell right in the centre of the other rock and pushed it even deeper into the trembling ground. So it's, it, it's gone from the right side to the left side, so this is from the north to the south. But the father became fearful of the strength of his own son and turned around and walked away into the wild world. Eee by it, lad, you're a bit strong, that's a little bit worrying. Uh, please don't come and beat me up and take my place, is kind of where I think he's going with that one. Undeterred, however, the son followed him in a merry mood. Look, Daddy, look, look, I can destroy your rock and lift heavier than you, let's go beat up these humans. However, where they went, nobody has heard, and they never came back. But the rocks which they had hurled across the river are called the Reisenstein, or the Giant Stone, until this day. And as I say, I think, I think they use stones, you can't see them. I've got photos of the castle from all angles, and basically, it's either trees or the funicular railway, or a very, very steep road, which is not fun to ride up. Although there are a lot of people who do that, I've done it once, uh, and that was a mistake. So yes, that is the story of the giant's stone. There's a there's the stories in England of giants lobbing stones around and stuff, um, especially down in somewhere south Gloucester. I want to say, can't remember. I need to look at my English folklore stuff again. There's a story that I've been wanting to talk about for a while, but yeah, there's some there's some giants who lob stones around. Obviously, you've also got the giant's causeway uh, between Scotland and Ireland. Uh, and there's things like that, so it's quite a common story. Uh, but this one's just quite nice because I like the I like the connection to the wine, and this region is obviously famous for its wine, um, so that's quite nice. Right on to the last one. This story is called the Neckar Sacrifice in the Saint John's Night. It's not really so much a sacrifice, but this is kind of a, a water spirit warning story. Uh, so, kind of like you, we've got the. Um, the Kelpies in Scotland um, and Ginny Greenteeth uh, in Lancashire and things. So this is specifically in the river. This is the River Necker. So when a fisher ventures out on the quietly gurgling flow during St John's night in order to set fish traps or check fishing lines, 
to see if any fish have been caught by them. He sometimes hears groaning or loud shouting out of the water, as if someone was in danger of drowning. But that person should beware of rowing towards such calls, or even replying to them. For it is the spirit of the Neckar himself, who searches for a living soul during the night and wants to attain power over it. And when someone follows that call, they will be pulled into the depths and then empty. The empty boat floats downriver through the silent night to the abodes of the humans. But if a child of men were to have the desire to refresh their bodies during the balmy night with a cold bath, then they, man or boy, should readily pledge their souls to God. For if God does not take them into his benevolent protection, they are doomed beyond the hope of rescue. They are grabbed by their feet and dragged down to the cold bottom of the river, and the next day their clothes are found on the shore. And their pitying neighbours will search for the dead person so that they can be buried in the graveyard, but fail to find them. For three days and three nights all searching will be for nought, for the corpse lies fixed to the bottom of the river. On the fourth day the corpse begins to rise, and the gurgling water no longer keeps it and throws it at the shore. But around the neck there will appear, they will wear a blue ring, a clear sign that the Necker spirit has had power over them, and strangled them during St. John's night. So this obviously is a very very stereotypical water spirit, um, angry, angry, it's a typical angry water spirit of, of don't, don't fuck around in rivers at night because you might drown. What I found interesting with this when I first read it was the three days and three nights. And if you do drown um, and you are dragged under the water, for a body to resurface, it is usually, and I did Google this, um, around three days for the body to resurface. So there is a little bit of truth within that. And if there's a blue ring around the neck, um, this could show that they're, they're, they're struggling to breathe. Um, they may have been caught in, in reeds that have been wrapped around their neck, which have dragged them under. So you can kind of see the connections to reality in this and the warnings of this. What, how it specifically relates to St. John's Night, however, unsure, but very much uh, don't go listening to, to people drowning. And don't go, don't go save drowning people, apparently. Um, which is a bit of an odd one but yeah so there we go that is St John's Night um, there is one note uh, here from Jürgen which I think is actually quite worth mentioning um, just because I actually find this interesting so this is obviously translated from German where they do have masculine and feminine genders of words and so we talk about the Necker spirit and we said he within the story. And so Jürgen says, while the term Neckergeist, so the German word for the Necker spirit, had the male gender, um, I went with the male form in the translation. This might merely be the case because the root word Geist is a male noun. Uh, the Necker spirit might just as well be female or genderless um, without the narrator knowing. So because the word is a male word, it has the, the male gender. Um, we don't know whether it actually re specifically re 
means a man or whether it means a woman or whether it means something else um, it's a spectrum so I think that's a, a nice little a nice little comment there it could we could have said she um, in England a lot of water spirits and river spirits are female and the Kelpie is just the Kelpie so genderless a lot of the time there we go so that is the last of the Heidelberg episodes um, until I decide to do some more but I will move away from Germany and I will do something else next time unsure what got a few things I want to do we shall see where they go uh, a few RPG things are on the on the horizon there will be a new release soon hopefully from me uh, there is something cool in the works in fact there's two something calls in the works uh, that you'll find out about as and when and oh, I think that's it for the moment so I hope you enjoyed this slightly rushed I suppose this was this was actually quite rushed I just decided to sit down and record it straight away no real planning or thought behind it I had some time it's cool this evening for once and um, yeah so welcome to the randomness that is my podcast yay so yeah um if you if you like this uh do give it a like give it a follow give it a share all that fun stuff on social media you can find it wherever you find your know, podcasts all that usual stuff that you get to say in these things uh you can get me at the drunken storyteller uk at gmail.com for sending me ideas and things i am on twitter as the drunken store one I am on Facebook as the Drunken Storyteller. Not that I ever do anything on any of these platforms. Uh, and yeah, if you want to watch me do silly things with RPGs, uh, you can find most of those over on YouTube as the Drunken Storyteller there. Uh, due to my crappy internet, uh, the streaming service is not really happening at the moment. So yes, most of the stuff is going up on there. There's a few, there's a, there's a, there's a few things that are going to be starting soon, and they will most likely be YouTube series. And when we have more date details and dates on those, I will let you know. And I think that's it, really. So all that is left for me to say is good night, my friends. <laughs>